0: Welcome to the show, welcome to the show, welcome to
1: the show, welcome to the show, we're gonna read up on a lot of plays and talk about them in many ways, so welcome to the show, welcome to the show.
2: Welcome to Read More Plays, the comedy podcast about plays and the artistic process. I'm Ricardo Frederick
0: Evans. I'm Jennifer Sassiman.
2: And I'm Mark H. This week, we're going to be talking about Nathan Allen Davis's play, Don Trell, Who Kissed the Sea, which the Washington Post called a tantalizing dream and which also won the Steinberg American Theater Critics Association New Play Award in 2015.
0: Dontrell Who Kissed the Sea was first produced in a Rolling World premiere as part of the National New Play Network. And the playwright worked with six different directors in theaters across the country. And we are tremendously fortunate enough to have one of those directors, Mark H, join us today here for this conversation.
2: Mark is a D.C. native, a director, performer, scholar, and educator with a primary focus on physical theater and American and African diasporic performance. He has a B.F.A. from Rutgers and M.F.A. from Columbia. He is an assistant professor of directing and acting at the University of Wisconsin, Madison, and the artistic director of the First Wave Hip Hop and Urban Arts Scholarship Program, the only one of its kind. And what's more, he is a close friend of the Read More Place family, and we are overjoyed to have him join us today. Welcome, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> hey, y'all. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for being here. Mark, you know, one of the things I love on your website, which everyone should go te- check out, it's theneogriat.com, and we'll put a link to that in our show description notes. Um, it says, Mark is most passionate about devising new work that is site specific, immersive, public and participatory and is drawn to performance that is highly physical, ancient, post-traumatic, interdisciplinary, Afro surreal, underground punk, divine and sustainable. I was like, "Yes, <laughs> that is my jam. Really exciting.
1: Yeah, I like a lot of things. I'm into a lot of things. <laughs>
0: I I really, I think site-specific work can be so exciting. I think immersing the audience in performance is just uh, one of the best ways to make it come alive for people who are witnessing theater. Sam has seen some of my site-specific immersive theater. (laughs) Actually, Sam has been the sound designer for some of my site-specific immersive theater. Um, And I'm really big into ensemble built ensemble driven production. So everything that I was reading about your work, uh, it was just, it was just lighting up all the circuitry in my brain.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've become so, so, especially in in recent years, I've, I've really, um, really been digging more and more into site specific and immersive work. And, Mm. um, I just, especially as a director for me, it's just the, the, you know, for example, if you're working in a proscenium theater, regular, you know, the theater, most of us experience theater in most of the time um you know you have your frame you have the frame right in front of you and you're thinking about kind of creating things for the audience experience in that that particular frame um and then immersive you the frame becomes kind of all around you right so you have to think and and you know you you have to think about the experience in in totality in that way and I, i just love uh i love the possibilities of that and of audience interaction and different kinds of engagement and uh yeah with site-specific work you know just to 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 really be in conversation with our world with our, our built environment with the natural environment um yeah just super passionate about that kind of work lately um but still love my plays <laughs> <laughs> still love the plays though yeah
0: mm mm-hmm well you did say ancient <laughs> it's all of it i mean that's the great thing i think every artist to a certain extent is a bit of a melting pot like you take all of your experiences and all the theater you're exposed to or you know whatever your discipline is and and you it it turns into what you have to say and so all the plays are a part of it <laughs>
2: Before we get started, we should mention that this play contains a few elements that might be triggering. Dontrell, Who Kissed the Sea, includes discussions of slavery, ancestral trauma, suicide, and mental illness. And as such, our conversations will most likely touch on some or all of these topics.
0: We know for some of you this could be difficult, so if you're sticking around for the conversation, now you know they're coming. And if any of these things are too much and you want to sit this episode out, we completely understand Next episode, we'll be discussing William Shakespeare's lighthearted romantic comedy, Hamlet. Known across the world and for hundreds of years as a happy-go-lucky comedy. And we look forward to having you back with us then.
2: Warning, warning, warning. She is lying. Warning, (laughs) warning, warning.
0: I'm super lying. But you should still come back <laughs> and join us. It's going to be epic. It has to be. The play is five hours long. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I know how much you love a long play, right? You know
2: how much I love a long play. Warning, warning. I'm lying. I'm lying.
0: <laughs> don't stress, though. That's That play is uh, future Ricardo's problem.
2: Yeah, and I don't have to write the quiz for it, so that's great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I actually have a quiz written because I taught Hamlet every semester I, I did oh my text gosh, and analysis. Funny. I don't know if I don't know if I'll use the same quiz, but I have one. <laughs>
2: uh okay, so cool, 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 cool. Now I guess it is time for hot takes.
0: Delete hot takes.
2: Every episode, we start off answering the same five questions to give you a quick look at our general impressions of the show.
0: (laughs) Hot take number one. What is the best thing about this show? What do you think is the best thing about this show? Mark, you are our guest. So please, I invite you to share your thoughts first on this one.
1: Oh, why, thank you. Uh, Such chivalry. Um the best thing about Dontrell is the really the, for me, it's the, the kind of epic nature of like, there's a mundane kind of quality to the play, but it is also, it's kind of written as in in some ways an epic journey Mm -hmm. and in the same vein as like many classic epic journeys. Um, And I just love the, I, I love that, that, um that mix and i love the theatrical theatricality of of the play um it's written mm-hmm. into the play itself you know yeah. in its ensemble nature and
2: yeah
0: what about you ricardo what's your favorite thing about this play
2: um i mean well that's very similar to my answer what i wrote i did write this down i'm not stealing this I'm not stealing this answer but yeah no i i said that it was uh its inspiration um, that's the best thing about the show. It is inspiration, um, the whole thing. It's inspirational. It is It is a beautiful, epic, spoken word story full of theatricality and populated by people that I feel like I know and I've, I've known throughout my life.
0: I did think of you whenever they talked about nerdy magic.
2: Yeah, <laughs> when he's talking about Captain's Log, I'm like, you can't. You start to play with Captain's yes. Log, you have yes. me, you have me. <laughs> I'm going. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what do you think the best thing about the play is? Jennifer? So, m-
0: thank you for asking, sir. Um, <laughs> my <laughs> my secret mission with every show I work on is that I want to make the world a better place through the art that I'm working on. And that actually might be my secret mission with everything I do. I have read that uh, a lot of people who are the ENFP Myers-Briggs type, which is my Myers-Briggs type, that's their secret mission. They want to save the world. They want to make the world a better place. Um, And, In terms of the theater that I work on, the theater that I like, it doesn't matter if it makes the world a better place by making people laugh and lightening everybody's load so they can go back into the world better equipped to be humane or if it it makes the world a better place by looking honestly at something painful so some kind of true healing can occur or if it's by teaching people something they need to know to live healthier lives or something else. I just want the theater that I create to make the world a better place somehow through its existence. And that's what I think this play does. I think it is beautifully written. I think it's moving and it's funny and it's inspiring and healing, innovative. It's a tremendous opportunity for artists working on it because everybody gets to shape it into something that belongs to just that particular ensemble. It's like all good things that theater could be, but I also feel like this play has the same secret mission. It is out there to make the world a better place. So that's my favorite part about
2: it. <laughs> awesome sauce.
0: What do you see as the biggest problem mm. with the text? Hot take number 2. And you don't now, have to go first. Okay. This time. Ricardo, you go I, first. I, I can
2: I can go first. I so okay. Now I came around I think the second pass at the play I came to this conclusion, or maybe like shortly after the first pat- pass, because there was an afterglow, there was an afterglow after I first <laughs> read this play. And I was like, wow, I feel amazing. And so I was like, I want to d- dive back into it. But then this thing gnawed, started gnawing at me. And I'm like, and I don't know <laughs> this is going to get too spoilery, um, but I'm just going to say, because if you're going to listen to the podcast, you're in it to win it. You're in it for the long haul. Um, my issue was why did Don Charles Ancestor jump into the ocean? It's not really, I mean, you could theorize, you could extrapolate maybe, but it's never really clear. Like, there's no why. Um, and I don't know that that was the only thing that I think I came away with wondering, like, yeah, I feel like I wanted that question answered. (coughs) I can go if you'd like
0: sure
1: um i think that uh the biggest problem the text presents especially i'd say for for production at least is that um uh there's a lot of there's a lot of freedom uh in the text that the playwright has given us you know you talked about the the Mm -hmm. ensemble nature of the play and how each each production can be drastically i mean this is true of a lot of theater but like especially in in the kind of the the style that this play is in written in um there's a lot of kind of openness and freedom to to building it and i think that like um there's also in some ways there's a there is a depth to the play like the play is is deep in what it deals with and 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 it's its language is beautiful and things like that but it's also um there's also a feeling of shallowness and that like it it moves through time and the story fairly you know quickly like it's a yeah basically there's a lot of life that needs to be filled out with the play there's a lot of like thing mm-hmm. detail that needs to be added to it and so mm-hmm. if you're in producing this play it, it requires as a director as performs all that a lot to, to to you have to add a lot to it i feel to like really mm-hmm. to really bring it to life uh, in the way that it, it it wants to it's not one of those that i feel like totally lives fully in the language you know mm-hmm.
0: yeah that sounds like a This is an amazing freedom and opportunity to give artists, and if you give that to the wrong artists, the play won't stand on its own. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense.
2: It will sink. (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there.
0: (laughs) Too soon. (laughs) This play needs swimming lessons. (laughs)
2: Um. (laughs) It has aspirations, though. It has aspirations. (laughs) Uh, I don't
0: know if I've ever said this before, but I don't see a single thing I don't like about the text or that seems like it could create a problems for a production team. Um, Hmm. I... I, well, except maybe you have to budget for cake. <laughs> you have to budget a blue mermaid cake every night. But that would be a problem I would be excited <laughs> to one, have.
2: That sounds like <laughs> the best problem ever for you.
0: It's like, <laughs> I'm that problem's target demographic. <laughs> um,
2: but Why I'm every gonna play have a mermaid cake.
0: <laughs> Why is it every play every job every day that's what the world needs more mer- blue mermaid cakes um <clears throat> but I'm gonna borrow a trick that I learned from my 11 year old daughter because we do hot takes now after we any movie we see any show we watch any book we re- read ever since Ricardo came up with this idea for the hot takes for the podcast we turn it into a post art encounter discussion and she never talks about like hmm i feel like the text you know missed an opportunity she just picks whatever part she liked the least and that is her biggest problem with the show so my biggest problem with this show is that the mom stabs the (laughs) scuba suit With the cake knife. That stressed me out so much because I was like, she's going to lose her job. You can't, those are expensive. I got very upset about the scuba suit. (laughs) So that's my answer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's fantastic. Okay, awesome. Hot take number the third. What is your favorite quote from the play? Uh, Jennifer, would you like to go to go first this time?
0: Sure. Um, I had so many answers because this is, I mean, it's such stunning poetry. Um, so I'm going to go with a Shay quote from when Don Tra- Oh, is it your quote? I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll have others, but I, I don't know. I really liked what It's Chase probably on my said. list
2: if it's a shakeboat. Yeah, go for it.
0: So Don Trella has had this dream. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the quiz. He goes to see his cousin who works at the National Aquarium, Baltimore, a place I've been many times. It's a really, it's a, it's an amazing aquarium. I learned actually that it's the most visited tourist spot in the the state of Maryland um, and he asks her to interpret his dream and her answer is I'm gonna tell you what I'm about to tell all these visitors when the doors open don't forget what's around you everyone wants to get tropical and let their kids talk to Nemo and that's fine but start where you at the blue crab the diamondback terrapin the striped burrfish. prepare to be amazed by what's already around you love what's around you. There's no place like home. Do you even know how true that is? Look, I'm not going to walk you through... I'm not going to talk you through things anymore. I'm not going to walk you through scenarios. I'm not going to interpret dreams. Be your own soothsayer. She needed a mic so you can just drop it at the end of that.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I love Shay. Yeah.
0: I love I Shay. I feel like there was
2: s- several monologues though throughout the whole piece, and that was definitely one of them that I, re- I was mm-hmm. like mic drop moment um sweet mark what about you what do you think uh your favorite quote from the play was
1: uh well that was one of them it was snatched away from me so <laughs>
0: um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i'll go with i think i'm gonna go there's a couple i really am drawn to but i i think i like don trail's quote um where he says, uh, I think there's some things that have been hidden from me, but even if they stay hidden, they're operational. And even if I don't mm. know why I have to do certain things, I can't not do them. Um, you know, you can take away all the reasons, but you still have the causes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yes. this I just yeah, I I really I just think those those words really speak to um Well, one just kind of the things, the, the kind of intuitive things that we're drawn to, and that that kind of the things that we can't necessarily articulate or, or fully understand, but, but that that are are there, that are real, that are pulling us to do certain things or be certain ways. Um, but also this idea when he's talking about some things that have been hidden from him. Um, you know, I really connect personally with with Dontrel. I know we're going to get into to uh, into it deeper later, but this uh, this idea that certain aspects of yourself, your history, things like that, have been hidden uh, from you either intentionally or just through you know unintentional erasure or loss or whatever like that. Um, but even those things, those aspects, even personally, those aspects of my history um, or lineage and heritage, everything like that, that I may not know that have been hidden, they still in some ways kind of are, are present in you. They still work their their magic on you or still kind of in some ways guide or direct your life. And I just, I, just, uh, I find that to be very uh, provocative. And uh, personally, I found it to be true, so. I didn't,
0: I didn't, Quite catch that quote the first time through, but I when I was doing my analysis read, I was like, "Whoa, that is so true!" I so I didn't underline it the first read, but I did the second read. It was it was subversively powerful. It took me a minute. And Ricardo, what's your favorite quote?
2: I um, am happy that the two of you snatched away two of the quotes that were on my list because they got airtime. They got airtime and they uh and people got to hear them because they were they were fantastic. I will pick this one though. So there's this whole and we'll get into this, I'm sure, in the show discussion and in the quiz too, spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. Um but dad is telling Dontrell what he wants for him, um, as far as protection. Um so part of the monologue is I want lionesses, I want panthers, I want Mama Kodiak's ripping that come anywhere close i want warrior women standing over you um and it's just because you don't hear a lot from the dad up until that point anyway um and so i i think my impression of the dad to that point was just like this is just a father who doesn't really care or whatever but um i was completely was completely wrong like the things that he the things that he says the things that he expresses and shares with Dontrell are clearly from a place of someone who knows him and cares about him and loves him and um, wants the best for him so that's what I picked
0: all right hot take number four if you were to work on this show or work on this show again (laughs) what production role would you want Um, And I'm just going to jump in right away because I don't see a production role for me in this show uh, other than audience member. Uh, I would love to see this show. But the more that I was reading this, I kind of wished I could invent a role. I don't know that anybody has this job anywhere, but um, I would love to be involved in a production like this. Uh, You know, there's not a part for me as an actor unless they want to cast Erica, (laughs) super old. (laughs) That's a different story. Um, And, you know, obviously I'm not the person to direct this, but this show ensemble has got to be so key. And as a director, I love coaching ensemble and building ensemble. So the role that I would invent for myself is ensemble coach. So they could bring me in and I would leave improv games that would be like specifically like directed towards the show and I could play with everybody and then step back and let the director direct. <laughs> that would, that would be my dream involvement in this show. Also, that sounds like a great job. I'd love to just be an ensemble coach. So,
2: nice. New job now hiring four. <laughs> um, I I think I think acting-wise I would I would want to play the dad. Um, at this point in my career. Uh, but I think, like, my what was drawing me the most was, actually, I want to... I would love to design the lights for this show. Mm. I'm not a lighting designer, but, like, seriously, I would, like, <laughs> I would go to school and study lighting design <laughs> to light this show. And, like, it is so... And it's just, like, hitting me in... Just in such a vi- in visually... Um, just... I don't know, just visually, it's so compelling to me.
0: Well, the yeah, image that you picked light. for the water behind you is such a great example of why that would be a cool aspect of right? the show. The way that <laughs> right? light travels through water is so yes, I know. interesting and tangible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you know Frank Britton uh, played the dad?
2: Wait, When? In, in your production, Mark? No,
1: no, in the theater, in Timothy Douglas's production, right? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was reading. No, um, I, I didn't see uh, it. I was looking for quotes about the show where I got the one from the Washington Post. Um, it was mentioning the cast and it said that Frank was the dad. Frank's been on, on the show a couple times, Mark, so.
2: Oh, love Frank.
0: He is. Yeah, everybody
2: knows Frank.
0: wonderful. Legend. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <The lessons>. mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. What about you, Mark? What do you, what would you, what role next time would you want? (laughs)
1: I think, I mean, I'm beyond it, but I I would have loved to have played Don Charles back in in my whippersnapper days. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that now I would love to, and this would, this is me kind of imagining a production that is very different from the one that I directed. Um, But I, I think, uh, i agree that that lights would be really fun to 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 do but i think i i'd be interested in uh designing sound um Mm -hmm. i mean there's a lot of like there's a lot of like ensemble created sound yeah Yeah. that like when i'm when i'm thinking of sound like i i think there's potential for like obviously engineered sound and design that way but also like Mm -hmm. I would i would extend that to the performers and their bodies et cetera. and so like i would love mm. that opportunity to be able to yeah create soundscapes for this this show you know it goes through so many mm. different places so many different locations and i think that sound is one of those elements like lighting and things like that that could really help define each space um yeah so
0: yeah all right last hot take which character in the play is the most like you? Ricardo? You're um, Mr. I Nerdy think... Magic?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, definitely younger me, very much. Um, f- uh, f- I'm feeling Dontrell energy. Uh, uh, Dontrell Third, rather. Um in the sense that I could be described in many of the same ways. (laughs) He's a dreamer. Um, I get the sense he's impulsive. He's moody. Um, He's even described as invincible. And I felt like a lot. um, (laughs) I felt like I got through some experiences in my youth that could have been described as um, uh, coming out unscathed and seeming invincible. Um, But I think I'm shifting into a lot more dontrell senior or dontrell the <laughs> second i guess uh, as i get older I'm a little more like i'm a little more solitary a little more moody i like you know <laughs> you i like my sit ctv in your room and
0: watch tv and eat cake i want to
2: sit in my room and watch vampire shows and and <laughs> i don't want to wait to eat my cake <laughs> 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 so yeah um <laughs> what about you <laughs> jennifer mark which what about you
0: i think i'm the most like danielle um i i at first i was thinking i don't know which one of these characters i'm like and then my second read when she goes to wake Dontrell up in the morning she's like don't make nobody come find you she's (laughs) like stop playing these games god just do the thing you're supposed to do and i was like oh that resonates with me she loves mermaids (laughs) Obviously, she makes delicious cake. She makes
2: the cakes, yeah.
0: Um, But also, (laughs) she clearly is carrying a lot of the burden of activity in the family. Like, the mom directs her anger at her, and she just takes it. Things need to get done, and she's the one that has to do it. Like, she's carrying a lot on her back, so that all resonated with me, but mostly the Blue Mermaid cake.
1: (laughs) I... Most like Don Draper. I mean, I I think in the nerdy aspects, definitely. Um, but I think really um, what drew, drew me to the play uh, initially, like one of the things I connected to most was his his uh, the impulse, his his draw, his journey to to discover his his roots really or to kind of get mm-hmm. back to kind of to finding that 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 link in his past that important link um, and that is a journey that i've been on for the last for 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 years um and in, in doing the same thing um I, i'm not throwing myself into any oceans you know but mm-hmm. but uh, i am doing that i am doing that in 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 similar ways um through research and just kind of a, the journey of trying to piece, piece together the past again. So, or find meaning in it. So yeah, those are, those are aspects. I think I really connect, uh, connect me to Dontrell.
0: I also think that both of you identifying with the nerdy magic of Dontrell. The other thing that is super obvious is Dontrell was like clearly very like charming and charismatic and attractive. So he wasn't just like, Mr. Awkward off in the corner. Like, you're both super handsome and very charming. So, I remember, Ricardo, when I found out you were all into Star Trek, I was like, really? You seem like the suavest dude I know. <laughs> 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 Showed up at my house in a Trekkie uniform.
2: <laughs> and, like, something doesn't add up.
0: <laughs> there it is. Oh, 70. but it does. Oh, you but it have does. So many layers. <laughs> all right as always we would love to hear your hot takes just a reminder that you can post them on our social media pages or send them to us in a voice message for us to play during our community voices section
2: And now the section where I test Jennifer and Mark to see how well they know the plot of Dontrell who kissed the sea by giving them a quiz about what happens in the show. If you've read the play, you can take the quiz along with us as you listen. But if you haven't, this is a great way to get familiar with the story.
0: Just to set this up for those of you who did not read the play... Dontrell, who kissed the sea, is about 18-year-old Dontrell, a young academic whose life seems to be heading in very promising directions, but who is also being haunted by dreams that are pulling him in directions his family members are not too happy about. I'm trying not to give any spoilers away from the quiz, Ricardo.
2: That's okay. I think we've already had some in, like, the hot take, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Some questions you won't need the phone a friend for. Um, here we go. But actually, oh, just a reminder. Just a reminder. <laughs> just a reminder that if there are any questions you don't know the answer to, you can always use a lifeline and call our friendly neighborhood sound engineer, Sam, so he can give you the answer. Hi, Sam, virtually.
0: Hi, Sam.
2: <laughs> All right, here we go. Question number the 1st. After a prologue where our title character is given a mini cassette recorder, a cassette, very old shoes, water from a cup, a piece of cake, and a tilt up of the head, Dontrell starts scene one recording his captain's log. What event does he recount for future generations? Mm. (laughs) Mark H.?
0: (laughs) <laughs> yes, Mark. Mark H, I see. You. Your buzzer is. Mean,
1: do we have buzzers? Okay. So...
0: <laughs> yes, because you made one. Clearly we okay. have one.
1: I just I added a rule to the world.
2: Yeah, I'm excited.
1: I've got a um,
2: cowbell <laughs> <laughs> I have a water job.
3: <laughs> um
1: oh, I'm supposed to answer, right? So the answer to that that is is he recalls a dream that he has in which he is basically on a a ship during the middle passage and sees his an ancestor of his um, or ancestors of his. uh, They get it on on the ship, Um, and then after he has sex with the person, then he goes and throws himself off of the ship into the Atlantic Ocean. That's, yeah, to put it all very simply and crudely. No explanation.
2: No explanation why. It's just I'm going down, running down to the store to get some milk.
0: I did think it was interesting that that Don Charles says that he... That the guy said to the woman, he told her his name, but he couldn't hear what was said. And that the woman told him her name, but he also couldn't hear what was said. And this Mm -hmm. whole idea of the names that are lost to the ages, I, I don't know why. That really, I thought that was so interesting, the way names were kind of a part of it all.
2: Yes, 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 yes. That is correct. Those are all correct answers um the uh the dream is interrupted or at least danielle interrupts um dontrell who is giving his captain's log um because mom wants him to come down for breakfast and so he decides that he does not want to have breakfast because he doesn't like eggs um, he decides instead that he wants to go see his cousin Shay, who knows a secret thing or two about the ocean. So he climbed out the window and he heads out on foot. Question number the next. In scene two, Dontrell is given a lift by his friend Robbie. Robbie plays an instrumental beat and raps about ghosts beneath the streets, which piques Dontrell's curiosity. Eventually, Robbie reveals that he received the call earlier. Who was this call from? And what was it about? Clunk, clunk, clunk. Uh, Jennifer. <laughs> that cowbell. <laughs> I think you need need more cowbell.
0: <laughs> I got a fever. And the only thing that'll cure it is more cowbell. Um, Robbie is sort of an honorary family member. He's got a key and everything. And so knowing that Dontrell and Robbie are really close, Dontrell's mom called him and is trying to figure out what's going on. Why her son is sneaking out of the window and just disappearing. Is he with some woman? What's happening? The mom is very worried that uh, her son, who's in a really good position, he's, he's about to go to Johns Hopkins, in the fall it's late summer when this happens and he's he's just like 21 days away from starting at one of the top universities in the country on a full scholarship so his mom sees him on this very safe path and just has this feeling that it's all about to fall apart
2: <clears throat> that is correct I um, and it's interesting here because you kind of this is where you sort of get the sense that the play is jumping forward really quickly in time because you get the sense after scene one, he just jumped out the window. But then he's jumping into the car with Robbie, but then Robbie's talking about having met with the, um, gone over to his house, eaten some of those burnt eggs, I think that were from his breakfast that he missed. So we've jumped really far forward in just a very short amount of time. Um, so the play makes these quick leaps in time. And that's something that um, production-wise, like yeah, how do you solve? And that's something that we can probably talk more about later on too but i thought that was interesting um but yes correct answer um robbie talks about being a marine psychologist um he uh <laughs> he finally drops he drops dontrell off at the aquarium for scene three scene three we are at the national aquarium in baltimore um dontrell at very, very cool place. Uh, Dontrell reassures a clownfish about its father's virtues. Um, and then he meets up with his cousin, Shay. Um, after telling her about his dream, Shay wonders if he's told his father, but he's more interested in her opinion. She has a beautiful monologue about starting where you're at, which you at, which was your quote, um, your favorite quote. Um, what does Dontrell ask her to get for him and drop off at the crib after she gets off work. Babe. <laughs> uh, Mark?
0: What happened to your buzzer, Mark?
2: What was it? Yeah, I was like, I didn't recognize that. Your buzzer is. Instrument.
0: It's gotten an that. Well, before it was like, <laughs> bing, bing, bing. And I was like, babe.
2: And now there was the something wrong with your sheep.
0: It's like a 70 year old chain smoker. Babe.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buzzer became a heavy smoker. Uh mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, what is the answer?
1: Uh yes. So wait, what was the question again? Um, oh, he asked uh what yes, this asked is, yes. pick up something for him. he needs some uh scuba gear. And so he asked Shay for some scuba gear because she might have the inside uh hookup because she
2: works for the Aquarium. That is mm-hmm. the correct answer. Yes, yes.
0: Don't do it, Shay. <laughs> You're gonna put your job in jeopardy, girl. Right?
2: <laughs> Shay, your job's in danger, girl. Fantastic. That is the correct answer. Um, scene four. Uh, in scene four, the company. Now, the company. To be noted that the company or the company of actors has been used to create different atmosphere throughout the play, um, uh, locations and stuff. And now that the company is creating Erica's apartment um so we learned that erica is a lifeguard she explains the three prerequisites as she's putting on her makeup in the mirror that the company has created the three prerequisites of a true lifeguard what are they
1: wow <laughs> can i cheat
2: I'm sorry. you can't ask if you can cheat <laughs> <laughs> How am I In supposed class. to answer that, <laughs>
0: Professor H? Can I cheat on this exam?
2: Wait, hold on. Let me put my let me put my hand if up. You can't. Uh... If you can't
0: remember, you can't. <laughs> Ricardo Frederick Evans raised his hand. Um, if you can't remember, I can't. I can remember her saying it. Like I remember that monologue, and she talked about stuff. <laughs> like how you Oof, i'm blanking
2: you can always you can always phone a friend i think i remember you're, 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 <laughs> do you, you remember
0: changed. yeah i think so i do you mark you remember
2: what what do you remember mark h <laughs> i remember that uh in no particular order because i'm not sure
1: if i remember the order but um the first one was dedication right i think that was dedication that is correct. Um, the second song was uh, um, Scallant, it, which is a word that she invented, right? Which is a mix of skill and talent. Um, and then I think, Bong. the final one. What was the final one? I think it was uh, a life, a life,
2: a life to save. Yes, a life, a life.
1: Yeah, a life to save. <laughs>
0: That is some of the best acting I have ever seen in my life. And the Academy goes to Mark H for pretending like he was remembering an answer that was Mm. right in front of his face. It was
2: coming right out of his head. I can can see see it. it. What are you talking about?
0: I can (laughs) see it reflected in your eyes on the camera. (laughs)
2: I always remember it like this.
0: <laughs> how,
2: how do you remember things?
0: <laughs> it's EDM. It's EDM
2: <laughs> That is correct. Those are all the correct answers. <laughs> next question or question the next. Uh, in scene five, the company creates a swimming pool where Dontrell immediately does what?
0: <laughs> he drowns. Kinda. I mean, like he just sinks to the bottom uh, and sits there. I didn't there. hear
2: your cowbell.
0: I decided to retire the cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> clunk clunk clunk. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is the correct answer yes he dives into the deep end i'm gonna put that
0: he's on rescued special by erica kid in cowbell. The cowbell.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: uh
2: that's correct yes he drowns but so what happens is he dives into this swimming pool that's been created by the company so it's not real water of course it's all um, in he doesn't our know how to
0: swim his, his father swim. has yeah. never taught him or his sister even though they repeatedly asked how to swim his father's never taught them in spite of the fact that the father was in the Navy for 7 years never mm-hmm. learned how to swim and don Trowell's like i can do it cuz i think i can and he just jumped in the deep end and went right to the bottom and yep. Erica got her moment to shine. She's been waiting to save a life, so she hauled him out and breathed life back into him. Saved his life.
2: Correct. Yes, she. uh, The scene prior where she's like, "I'm gonna. It's gonna happen. One of these days, it's gonna happen. It happens immediately. Um, She don't have to wait. No waiting." Uh, So then, at the end of the scene, she invites Dontrell back to her place. and we move into scene six. The company brings on or they create a couch and a TV frame. And we're now in the Joneses' living room. There is a watching Blood the
0: great
2: TV show, the
0: greatest TV show of all time. <laughs> I'm invested in that plot line.
2: <laughs> it's like True Blood exactly or something. I love in. I love how the dad is like, did you see it? He finally he or finally, she finally bit her. He finally bit her. <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. Oh, my God. Um, So, yes. So then Shay comes over to deliver something for Dontrell. Um, her aunt does not hold back in telling her everything that's on her mind and her concerns for Dontrell. After Shay leaves, mom discovers what was in the bag. Then she orders Dontrell's sister, Danielle, to do what? Bloop.
0: <laughs> No, I answered the last one. Mark, you can answer it
2: if you want. She
1: orders Danielle to. Make a blue mermaid cake.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm whispering to you, Mark. I'm whispering you the answer so you can answer. (laughs)
1: Like telepathically, I can't get
0: When I do this, Mark, the other guys can't hear me. <laughs> it's a secret, secret function.
2: <laughs> Mark sure is taking a long time to answer this. Tells line. her to <laughs> throw throw them away. I'm, I'm allowed to get them wrong, right?
1: So then someone else can chime and
2: get it right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah, you can you can attempt, or you can try to um, phone a li- use a lifeline or give Jennifer a shot. Oh shit! I don't want to. Use, I don't to use a lifeline. You yet. have unlimited lifelines. It's not. This isn't.
0: Yeah, but I know the answer. We it? don't need to call a lifeline.
2: Yeah. But, so
1: I, if I'm just... gonna know any
0: answer, <laughs> it's this answer. <laughs> Come on, cluck, 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 cluck. Tells
1: Danielle to throw them away.
0: Throw so what? Throw
2: away? the what was in the bag away. So we do discover that it was the the scuba gear. The scuba gear. Yes. That's my um, answer. And is that your final answer? Because that is not, that is not correct. Uh, Jennifer, would did you like to steal? what every
0: mother does when she realizes her son is in danger. She tells her teenage daughter to plan a party. I've got to throw a party. Make sure he comes tomorrow. Make a really nice cake. Get everybody here. Make a really great party. That'll fix everything.
2: <laughs> this thing. That is I mean, correct.
0: If there's anything that's gonna fix the problem, <laughs> it's a blue mermaid cake, but
2: mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, I I agree as well. Correct answer. That is the correct answer. Planning a graduation party for the family, inviting Robbie, Dontrell. Um, and baking a cake. Scene seven, we are now in Erica's condo. Beachfront, Chesapeake Bay. The two get to know each other by playing a game using a flashlight. What is the game and what do they reveal to each other?
0: It's like a truth game where what when the beam of the flashlight is on you, you have to tell true things and not just true things like And my nails are clean and I cut my hair yesterday. It has to be true things that are really important and secret. And you have to keep going until the person holding the flashlight on you uh, decides you've had enough and, and takes the flashlight away. So Erica tells this whole story about how her uncle is actually her biological father. And this is a truth that she has recently figured out. And as she's talking about it, Um, and discovering it and needing to leave her mom and her who she thought was her dad behind and get some space at this condo. She is even saying to Dontrell, don't take the light away. Don't take the light away. Like it is giving her permission to say these things that she says that she's never said out loud before. And the condo that she's in, that's right on the Chesapeake Bay, which sounds lovely, um, is something that her (laughs) father... Her biological biological father purchased for her when she asked for said she wanted to leave where she was living
2: yes her dunkel
0: her dunkel her dad uncle
1: her dad uncle so that was wrong um the actual answer is <laughs> <laughs> the actual answer is spot spotlight um, they were playing
0: parcheesi
1: and, and <laughs> And Jennifer, it's not a truth game. It's a trust game.
2: Um,
0: (laughs) Jennifer has left the conversation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer has put her hand down. (laughs) And she has put her finger. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, but that is the correct. That is the correct answer. It is somehow the correct answer. I don't know whose answer we're putting in there, but yes, it is a... It's kind of like a psycho-emotional version of hot yoga. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. And so, yeah, and and Dontrell reveals that he's been or being compelled to the sea. Um, They also have this lovely quote that uh, Erica gives at the end of the scene where she says, I'll be your fate if you'll be mine. Um... Moving on to scene eight, the next question in the Joneses' living room. Lots of family truths are being revealed. Um, It's time for cake, but the guest of honor has yet to arrive. Dad loses his patient. He takes a piece, much to mom's chagrin. Finally, Dontrell shows up with Erica. Mom confronts him about the scuba gear. Dontrell reveals that he is not going to school, but instead to the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. How does mom react
0: she takes that cake knife and stabs the scuba suit thereby throwing away Shay's deposit (laughs) also Don doesn't say he's not going to school he says that he that maybe he'll go to school after he does this thing first he has to do yes he has to do this first but the thing that's a priority is this thing. <clears throat> Sorry, I had too much music in me, Mark. I had to get it out.
1: No, that's. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So she. She decides to sabotage his dreams by literally stabbing. Holes into his means of achieving them. Mm hmm.
0: He can't go he can't go scuba diving if the scuba suit is full of holes.
1: No, he can't.
0: That's just science.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling she knew that before she stabbed it, but that was that's what would happen.
2: That is correct. That is all correct. Um Dontrell in turn tells her to stop. He calls her the B word dad intervenes um they in turn have a heart to heart um we learn about uh, a little bit about um don charles grandfather um and how he couldn't uh distinguish dreams from um, what it was like to be in the real world he was hallucinating um he, uh, don charles senior has this amazing the amazing warrior women monologue um he tells him to go to kiss his mother um but he instead he goes and asks his mother for a boat. Shea tells a story about tells Dontrell the story about what happened to his grandfather um, hijacking the oyster man Skipjack, um, and then sort of losing his bearings, being put into an asylum, um, being very similar to Dontrell in the fact that he was like a poet, um, and ultimately drowning himself in the bathtub. She tells him that he needs to just do what he has to do, no more, no less. D'Antrell's kind of ready to give up but then Erica tells him that she believes in him completely and tells him to meet her down at her place the next morning on the beach and then dad gives D'Antrell his grandfather's shoes that are filled with letters and um, we move to scene 9 where he meets Erica at her apartment and she Oh, I'm sorry. Scene nine. Erica is in her apartment, paralleling a scene earlier where she was putting on makeup. But this time she's doing what?
0: Oh, she's putting on warrior paint because she's a Viking. Yeah. And another thing that she mentioned, kind of a big deal uh, in the in the conversation she had with Dontrell, where she told him she believed him. She also said, I'm pretty sure I'm pregnant after last night. We're a family now. It's a good thing we decided we were all <laughs> intertwined in each other's destiny. But yeah, they talked about how she's got Erica Anderson. That's Viking for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And it's the same kind of like uh, that same kind of intuitive knowledge that, you know, we talked about that mom has, that Dontro has. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um that erica is feeling when she she knows that she is um is pregnant is with child
0: yeah and she's using makeup that she took from her mother to draw kind of more primitive uh tribal designs on her face from her ancestry
2: uh excellent that is the correct answer um next question last question um in scene 10 Erica's Dunkel has come through with a scaled-down version of a Viking longship. And Dontrell and Erica venture into the ocean. They venture farther and farther out, rowing and rowing until they lose all sense of time and space. What offerings are given to the ocean, and then what ultimately happens?
1: Well, what are the items? The uh, the items are the same objects, the same items that he's given at the very beginning of the play, right, during the the opening ritual, Mm -hmm. which is the... um
0: Cake! There's cake! Mm
3: -hmm.
0: (laughs) No, he... he, He's giving the things that are important to him, so he has bound the letters that he discovered that his grandfather wrote, he offers Mm -hmm. them and, and invites the ancestor to come ashore, and it doesn't. And then he... Um, offers his grandfather's shoes, his shoes and yep. the and there's no appearance. And then he offers the recordings that he's been making to the future.
2: Uh, that and that, and nothing happens. Not,
0: I was like, not the captain's logs. And so ultimately, he offers himself, and he jumps in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He didn't bring any cake. That's why the ancestors didn't come. There was no cake.
2: They didn't bring any cake. Well, the cake was on the inside. It was on the inside.
0: <laughs> It was was in in in. Dontrell. So when he threw himself (laughs) in.
2: (laughs) When he threw himself in, he was starting to That's
0: the the moral of the story. The cake is in you.
2: You are the cake. Um, Yes. And then ultimately what happens once he does that? Once he gets down to the bottom of the ocean. He
1: drowns or he starts to drown, right? But then he's saved by the ancestors.
0: Who speaks to him in the Yoruba language. Of uh, Nigeria, and it, the translation was given, but the audience wouldn't know that he, the actor mm-hmm. is supposed to speak in the language that the person who would have jumped overboard all those centuries ago would have spoken. With. And and he recognizes that Don Trowell is of his blood, and all of the ancestors appear with him, and they bring him back to the surface. Where he has freed his family from the trauma of what happened to that original ancestor, and he and Erica and his whole family and the future that he's been talking to all this time are free.
2: And that's it. Yeah, that's it. End of play. Um, yeah, it's a really beautiful ending.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Was that correct? That was <laughs> that was correct. <laughs> yes. just so we're clear (laughs) that was correct and that is the end of the quiz
0: hopefully the overview and quiz questions have given you a clear sense of what happens in this show but if you'd like a more detailed outline of the plot you can check out the summary of the play that we have in the synopsis section of our website there's a link to this in the podcast show notes episode description now we're going to move on to the analysis section
2: Plays were meant to be seen, not read. But before a production is ready to be seen by audiences, even before rehearsals and production meetings begin, the job of the theater artist is to come to a deeper understanding of the text by looking at it through an analytic lens. In this section, we'll get to know this play a little better by talking about it through a single piece of analysis.
0: This week, we're going to be using a slightly different kind of analysis technique that I'll call ensemble building. And while it's not strictly text analysis, this was what was calling to me um, that I kept thinking about while I was reading the text. So I'm just going to run with it. Uh, if you look at the language, as everyone here has in the text, there are several parts where the company is is talking as a chorus. It's like, you know, people have a single word or a string of words, but they have to speak as a single breathing entity and that i can tell you because i've done it with groups that's hard there's so many different things about ensemble that are required to make this show work that um if you were going to be directing this show if you were going to be performing in the show if you're going to be a part of this show and working with the actors in any capacity you would probably want to spend time thinking about what you would do to build the ensemble um there was and for me as a director that was always a huge piece of it i wanted to spend a lot of time not just focused on the text and the actions and the activities and the the beats but i really wanted the cast to be able to move as a unit to trust each other to breathe together to think together so i would i would spend a fair amount of time in productions doing a certain exercises and it could change from show to show um, but i i did a lot of of ensemble building work the first thing that i thought of was there was a, a chunk of there was a page a, a chunk of a scene where the cast had these cascading lines that kind of worked together to tell a story so everyone had a word or a couple of words and that was the first moment that clicked where like oh i want to talk about ensemble building um, because it reminded me of an exercise I did on a bunch of shows where I had the cast say Hamlet's "to be or not to be" speech, but everybody got one word. So you know, one person says "to," the next person says "be" or "not to be." That is the question. Like we would do the whole monologue going around, and the goal was to try to get it to sound like it was a single idea rather than a bunch of choppy words laid side by side, and it takes practice. It takes time. Um, I think one of the things that's really important when you're doing ensemble work is to not just think about what's happening that day, but you're thinking about the arc of the whole rehearsal process so that perhaps it's not going to pay off at the beginning, but if you do it over and over and over and over again, something really powerful is going to come out of it. I often would do a sun salutations exercise with my cast I think this was the most common thing. (laughs) Sam's nodding, so he must have been in a show I directed that did it. Um, Where I would start out just leading a real simple sun salutations. I'd have everybody stand in a group. I'd go through it, upper body, downward dog, you know, just all the different things. And after a couple of rehearsals, I would say, I'm not going to lead this anymore. I want us to kind of decide as a group without speaking to do it in unison. So you have to kind of be aware of what everybody in the group is doing. And you know sometimes it's a little choppy, like someone obviously goes first, but the idea is just we're all listening, we're all gonna learn how to move together. And then once that started to work, I would step out. And so it was entirely about the cast listening to each other and watching each other and learning to move as one. So. I just found myself thinking more and more about how important it would be to do these different kinds of exercises, as a, a, you know, throughout the process. I directed a production called *Metamorphosis* when I was at Troy University, and uh, every day, and that's a Mary Zimmerman play. It's very much like the organic scenery in terms of the bodies are creating the shapes that tell the story. And so every day I would lead an improv, it was different day by day, but I would think about the scene I was going to stage and what needed to happen in that scene. So I try to devise games for the actors where they're listening to their impulses and just building and playing, but I'm capturing images based on the work they're doing that I could then use in that day's staging once we got to that part of the rehearsal. So just doing different exercises like this throughout the process to get the cast to do that ensemble thing that needs to happen. That's my idea for the analysis section. I don't know, Mark, um, having worked on the show, also just knowing the kind of work that you're super into these days. um, Are there any ensemble building exercises that you like? or that you did when you were working on this show?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a very, uh, like you, I, I I am very much invested in ensemble building um, as a part of my process. It's usually pretty much every part of every process I'm on. Every process is different, but I almost all of them start off or, you know, I I like to early on lay the foundations for everything that we're going to need going forward. So um, and a lot of that is is building that ensemble, building the trust and all the things like that that we're going to need to. In order to be able to to get to the place that we we all want to get to as far as bringing the the, the the piece to life and so uh yeah so i do a lot of this kind of work a lot of these exercises and um with dontrell um th- 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 it, you know it's one of those plays that of all all plays this is definitely a play that needs this kind of work mm-hmm. um and so yeah i usually um uh, w- one way that i split up that kind i i always kind of think about um when i'm approaching rehearsals and, and things like that is um and this is from a mentor of mine mike alfred's um who's a, a legendary english director um who i worked with a long time ago but anyway um i split things up into world character and text so like mm-hmm. when i'm doing these kinds of like ensemble exercises um i'm usually doing group explorations of the world of the play so that you know whether you know so so uh, whether that's exploring literally the physical kind of or the, you know like the the locations there is like locations that that are in the play and kind of understanding what those worlds are and and everything um given circumstances and everything like that um or thinking of world is also encom- encompassing like the themes of a play or, or the questions underneath it or um yeah it kind of anything so so i do exercises related to that that kind of work um character work i do group character work so you know we often feel a sense of ownership as performers over like our characters and like it's like ours but um i found it's helpful to kind of relieve the actor of that sometimes of this kind of uh individual ownership and kind of Open up a collective exploration of character, in which, like you know, we will literally focus on one character as a group. You know, take Mm -hmm. time to do that, and all do kind of improvisatory exercises where we are all exploring that character. And what that does is, you know, again, it it allows, uh, it offers space in the rehearsal process to to actually explore character, physicality, all kinds of aspects of the character. But the 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 actor can can do that themselves themselves, but also has a chance to step back and get to see others and kind of how they're exploring the character, kind of be able to like see, you know, other people's ideas. And, and it's possible that some things, new revelations may occur because, you know, th- through that process. Um, and then I also do uh, exercises, group exercises based on like explorations, more specific explorations of, of the text, um, of the language itself. Um, or, or its structure or rhythms and, and all of that. So all of that definitely found its way very heavily into Dontrell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about like the theatricality of this world and, 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 uh, you, and you know, in, Meta- in Metamorphoses, you you talked about the kind of building of world through the body and so like that yeah. in my production of Dontrell, which is very bare bones, very minimal in many ways um, we had to really rely on that, you know, like, how do you stay? And this goes back to the kind of earlier question about what is a challenge or one of the difficulties of the text. Like you look at that, that swimming pool scene, like how do you do that? You know, like because you don't you have just, the
0: pool from metamorphosis. <laughs> right.
1: Exactly. It's not just the pool on stage the whole time. Like we go so many different places. I mean, I guess you could st- could stage it in the pool and it becomes the ocean or something at the end who knows but but we did not have that so (laughs) in my in in our production you know i thought of like what what is and this is a little bit of you know a little bit of a digression sorry but um in, in 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 the production that i i directed uh in thinking of that swimming pool thinking of that scene of that moment I had to think about okay, Dontrell jumps in the water and he, you know, he 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 nearly drowns, right? In that sense, like, what does the water become to Dontrell? Thinking of it in a more like um uh expressionistic kind of uh, way from Don Trell's, you know perspective. Like, what does the water become? The water becomes like this uh, this this attacker, this kind of um, this thing that is that you have to battle against or that is trying to uh, that is trying to kill you, basically. That's what the water yeah. becomes from this big danger. And so anyway, long story short, in our production, the way that we express that is that that, that scene became a fight scene. Like I actually had the mm-hmm. ensemble of actors, they they embodied the water, they embodied the, the water in the pool but they embodied the water as attackers. And so they, they, you know, they attacked the Don Shrell and it became this intricate choreography, choreographic fight scene of his drowning in the water, but but through through capoeira and kung fu um, nice. and things like that. But those things also took a lot of ensemble work, that kind of physical, you know, that kind of training and, and, and physicality um, that we did. So there were lots of examples of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think definitely in 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 most works that I that I that I do, and definitely in Dontrell, um, ensemble work, ensemble building um, is a huge huge aspect of it.
2: Yeah, it sounds. I mean, that's all. It's also super exciting. Like, and that you guys like embrace that so fully. And I, I mean, I look at a line like. Dontrell opens his mouth to answer and the ocean rushes in. And I'm like, okay, that's great. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. How do you lift that off the page and then uh, express that to the audience (laughs) without drowning an actor?
1: (laughs) But that's super exciting, you know, for, for, you know, for, it's super exciting to think about how, how in the world do you, do you bring that, like, the visceral nature of that line you know like it's like wow it's so beautifully poetic how can you mm-hmm. actually translate that into the space and that's where all the exciting possibilities of theater come ex- in yes because exactly. it has to be because you can't do it literally it has to be poetic it has to ex- you know yeah and, that's,
0: and it has that
2: has to be things. well lit <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't want to do it in the dark they people have to see it <laughs>
2: If you're curious about the techniques we've used on this or other episodes of the show, you can find more information about them on our website. There's also a link to that in the show notes. And remember, it doesn't matter what techniques you choose. Taking the time to comb through a text with a deliberate analytic task will always result in a clearer sense of what that show is about.
0: It's now dramaturgy time. This is the section where we each share an example of something we learned while doing research on this show. And, Ricardo, you can start because that's the order in the script.
2: (laughs) Awesome, then I'll start. All right, right. so my dramaturgy, I looked up the Snekja or (gasps) Snekki.
0: I did that too.
2: Is that yours? I I don't know if I'm saying this right. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that was one of mine. I saw two different I, I went to a bunch of places. I saw I heard two different pronunciations. One was oh, yeah. snekja and one Sneck-ya? was snetja.
2: Okay, th- those both sound right. I would I would buy both of those. Snekja or s- snekja? Um snekja. So it means snakes um because the ships were long and sleek. So these are the these are the um ships that uh, the viking ships that are um inspired uh, in the play that uh that Dontrell and Erica go off to the ocean in um that she got from her donkle. Um but yeah so it's inspired by these ships and they were typically the smallest smallest long ship used in warfare and were classified as a ship with at least twenty rowing benches. Uh, a typical Stekia might have at least a length of 17 meters, a width of two and a half meters, and a draft of only half a meter, or 1.6 feet, and would carry a crew of around 41 men, which is 40 oarsmen and one cocks. Sneckies were one of the most common type of ship, according to Viking lore, Um, used uh, used in Norway between 1,200 and 1028.
0: You know, I, when I looked up the snekja yeah, or snitch, uh, um, it said that it was an Icelandic word meaning yacht. Hmm. Uh, but that was one of the things I looked up because I saw that word. I was like, I, I, I don't, that's a lot of consonants. How do you pronounce that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but I got curious right away uh, about the Yoruba dialect. And mm-hmm. so I was just sort of digging into that. Um, so the Yoruba is one of the tribes in Nigeria. It's one of the three biggest tribes, the top three tribes are the Hausa, the Yoruba and the Igbo, but there are 371 different tribes in Nigeria, which is crazy to me. And, and there are over 500 language languages spoken in Nigeria. So that's just, that's so wild to me that they're, I thought, okay, 371, does that mean there are 371 languages? No, there are 500. Um, So 230 million people in the country and 500 languages spoken. I thought that was so cool. And that's my short and sweet little dramaturgy. Yay. Mark, did you look up anything uh, this time around, or th- you remember learning when you were working on this before?
2: Uh, a,
1: a interesting tidbit, and I guess this in some ways uh, touches on Ricardo's question about uh, why the ancestor throw himself into the, the ocean. Um, this ship that the ancestor on is, is coming over is, is the, the ship. It's the Middle Passage, right? So it's, it's most mm-hmm. likely a, a, a slave ship. Um, and what's fascinating is that, um, well, not fascinating, but what's real is that there were a lot of these incidents, these, these incidents of enslaved Africans, uh, jumping off, leaping off of ships, uh, during that passage, uh, one, so as not to be taken to, you know, (laughs) taken to wherever they, they, they either knew they were going or didn't know they were going but knew it wasn't you know um but also there's a there's a um in some ways there's a kind of uh especially with the with beliefs in the afterlife that, that may differ from our own like uh or the cycle of, of life like that act of jumping into this into the ocean um in some ways would allow them to go back home you know um mm-hmm uh spiritually etc. um but th- th- that's all to say the, the the more interesting than any of that anything uh, anything of that i just said is that there have been many um kind of imaginings of uh like alternate worlds or underwater worlds um that are that have been created, or underwater communities that have been created by the ancestors of Africans who were either thrown off ships or Mm -hmm. voluntarily leapt off ships. Um, And if you think of like the the ocean as this kind of, this crossing, this literally place of crossing, but like this uh, kind of liminal space between two different worlds, right? The African, the American. Uh, uh uh I feel like I'm rambling now, but let me you can cut kind it. Of, you can you can add you can add, <laughs> No, you can
0: add no, 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 you're good. <laughs> Literally but, just thinking like yes. oh, this is so cool. It's like I'm in Mark's class.
1: <laughs> yeah, but no, but what's fascinating is that like uh yeah, like what imagine, imagine if all of those Africans that that were lost at sea or jumped off at, at, at sea like what if they formed a community underneath the ocean mm-hmm. and there were there have been there have been like various kind of actual fictional imaginings of this of what that could be and one of those is a group called drexia um who is a uh, a group from detroit they're actually uh one of the t- uh pioneers of techno music um and specifically detroit techno but they were in a black a group of black um, musicians um, that created a mythology around their band, where Drexia was this underwater world uh, under the Atlantic Ocean that was uh, that consisted of the like offspring of the ancestors, the African ancestors who were drowned at sea in the Atlantic Ocean. And so Drexia is their mythology. Like they are, you know, they, they come from this place called Drexia. And uh, anyway, it's it's just fascinating to think, you know, especially with Don Trell and kind of his final moment of leaping into the this the ocean himself, right? Um, and drowning, but then, you know, being saved or revived or rescued or brought above by by the ancestors or these figures that were potentially in the water or underneath the sea. Um I don't know. Yeah, that's so. In my my research led me to all these places <laughs> uh, really when I was cool. working on, on working on the show, and uh, yeah, I became really fascinated with this kind of, you know, this this idea of of what that could mean. Um, yeah,
0: I've seen some of those really beautiful monuments, kind of the haunting monuments underwater to yeah. the slaves that either threw themselves overboard or were thrown overboard. <laughs> If you would like to learn more about the research and analysis that we did for this play, we post all our findings on the Patreon. So if you sign up to be a supporter there, you can see everything we have uncovered.
2: Now that we've gotten familiar with the structure of the play, we get to talk about our reactions to the text and our artistic interpretations of how a play like this could be brought to life. So, yeah, let's get into it. Um,
0: you know, Mark, played brought been... the
2: play to life before, so. Uh, let like, me just, things... I just want to say this Sorry.
0: one thing before we get into the, <laughs> the reason why we brought you here today, Mark. Um, It's been a while since I sat down to read a play that was entirely new to me. Like usually, even if I haven't worked on the play or taught it in a class or read it several times or seen it a bunch, even then I usually know the general plot of a lot of these shows that are on our our big important playlist. I can't remember the last time I was like, I have no idea what's coming and it was really exciting. I was like, what's going to happen when I turn these pages? The whole thing had me just very hashtag forward, very curious about what was coming. <clears throat> but yeah, we've got one of the originators of the show. Like I, what was it like working with Nathan Allen Davis on this production? Uh, what was it like for you building the show? I know you've been talking about it all along, but the whole idea of the the show discussion section is like, let's dive in.
1: Um, it was amazing. You know, I, I, I directed, uh, my production I directed for the source festival source theater festival, mm. DC source festival, um, at the source theater. And, um, it, it, it really felt like the play was like meant for me, so, to be honest. Like At the time, it felt like it was meant for me to direct because it uh, it came around at a time where literally everything that all of the person that I was or who I was becoming and everything that I was interested in and all of that like was embodied in the play or completely aligned mm-hmm. with it. Um, so it felt like literally perfect for me. And... Um, yeah, Nathan was great. I felt like you know this was literally the first production, other than kind of the college, the kind of you know college workshops that he had done. Um, this was the first like professional production of the play, mm. and um, uh, while still while still a workshop, I guess not the official like world premiere, but but still a professional like the first professional um, production of it. Um, Despite that, I feel like Nathan really gave me so much freedom. Like, he, he was really laid back. Like, he didn't, um, all of my ideas, um, he was really open to, um, to exploring. I never felt like, um, so for, in that sense, working with the playwright was really easy. <laughs> um, and I, we had our, you know, like, we had, in some ways, and sometimes it, it, can, it, it may not be, you know, um, but uh, also me and... Um, Nathan had a relationship before that. Um as an actor I had actually performed in a couple of workshops workshop readings of other plays of his like at the Kennedy Center and elsewhere so I already knew him and things like that so that also helped out as well there was a sense of trust there. Um but uh, I had an amazing cast, you know, I was fortunate to, to have incredible people interested in the show um, and great support from uh, Jenny McConnell-Frederick and the folks at, at the, the Source Theatre at the time uh, and, um, and Cultural DC. Um, and yeah, I got Stanley, you know, Stanley Jackson and Burgundy Baker, who played Danielle. Stanley played uh, Dontrell and uh it was just an amazing kathleen burke uh, at the time um who who played uh, erica like i look at that cast and just (laughs) just just think of like i was so blessed because they were all so so good um and again so um open to to just play and take risks and all of that um and like i said like the play it was a very ensemble kind of Driven process. Um, I, I it was really important to get the the cast, and we we had to do it quickly because we didn't have tons of time to work on the show. Um, uh, but to get them really quickly to a place where they 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 felt like they they could bond and trust each other and be able to really uh, go to the places that I I just said that I appreciated they were able to go, which is to be able to take mm-hmm. risks and be vulnerable. Um, But yeah, like, I I just feel like, um, like I said, you know, with my example of like the swimming pool and everything like that, it was just like, we really got to use our imaginations. And it was a really a a kind of like group problem solving and a lot of these like strange ideas um, and extremely theatrical, fantastical ideas came out of really like our group, you know, trying to really tackle these things you know we talked to we you know ricardo brought up that beautiful description descriptive passage poetic passage you know and the problem of how do you you stage that kind of thing yeah and what was great about our process is that like you know to be able to work with a group of wonderful actors um in and solving those problems together and improvising in rehearsals and, and and doing those things that that's really what it was um and what was also like really i mean this is kind of like It's not the central point, but was also a kind of celebration is that, you know, it was um, a group of primarily uh, folks of color, um, Mm -hmm. black actors, especially getting to work with each other um, uh, and and other folks who were so open, who may not have been black, but were open to learning the process and, and understood like, I don't know, that also was a really cool part of the process to be able to have this kind of uh, ensemble spirit and really kind of creation, ensemble creation uh, with a group of, you know, performers of color as well. Um, That that doesn't always happen um, or those opportunities don't come around often. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I know I could talk, I could go on and talk a lot about the the process, but I I think one last thing maybe I'll say that kind of uh, sums up a bit or is kind of an example of what this process is like. In the play itself, um, there are these moments where there's like the, these ellipses and Nathan Allen Davis in the, the material before the play, uh, in his elements of style talks about how the ellipses are moments where like something happens, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a beat, it's like a beat or like a moment where something is happening, some activity or some reaction or something. Right. And it's also similar to Susan Laurie Park's, um, her, her spells. Um, but what was really interesting is in, in that particular process, I got to the point where I ended up thinking of those beats literally. Like I started thinking of the, there was something very rhythmic about the play and how it's written and where yes. those beats mm-hmm. fall. Mm-hmm. And like, so I actually went to that. I, I went there and and I, I actually took those beats literally as beats and they became um, moments where, um, so in my production, I was also kind of, I was present on the stage, uh, as a drummer, um, mm. slash, um, and, 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 you know, this is where I brought in a lot of kind of my my own Africanist um, aesthetics and, and philosophies and stuff to the process. But, um, you know, because the ancestors in African Africa and Africans and African kind of cosmology was so important, especially to that final moment at the end of the play, um, mm-hmm. I really tried to infuse that in the entire like, production. So... Anyway, I was on stage as the drummer, as a drummer, providing this beat. But every time there's a beat in the play described, I actually, there was a beat, a drum beat. Oh, um, that's and, cool. And those moments, those, like, beat moments were usually filled with some, either some kind of phys- physical reaction or something that was heightened. and Or, like, um, or a moment that we really wanted to bring the audience's attention to. So, like, there's a moment where when... Uh, the mother's last moment with Don Trell before he goes off to 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 the ocean right she has a talk with him, him. And he, yeah exactly and there's a moment where with that kiss um i had her you know there's a moment where the actress um tracy ferrar she uh literally took his face or touched did something where she she stroked the side of his face and when she did that on that gesture there's a a a, a drumbeat and the drum, the purpose of those drum beats was to highlight and and bring the audience's attention to that gesture as make and make it more meaningful, and so those were things that happened all throughout the the show. Is that you know those those beats were used in that kind of way, and uh, I I just I guess I wanted to to bring that that convention out because one, uh, it's it's again it's it was an active kind of problem solving and having to grapple with how to make those those. Uh, those things that Nathan gave us in the script, how to really kind of uh, make them meaningful to an audience. Um, but also it, it was very meaningful to me because it opened my eyes, I think, to, it furthered my own artistry because it, it again, allowed me to, um, I started using that convention actually in other works, you know, mm. this idea of the um, what the drum could mean in my work and how it could be used in, in a way similar to kind of highlight particular moment so it, it really like you know the process like was incredible to work on but it also for me was an incredible moment like turning point in my career where it it confirmed my 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 love of directing that i that I actually should should be a director um mm-hmm. right after that i decided to apply to grad school for directing and make that my my primary focus but it, it also you know um Actually, literally influenced kind of my work going forward aesthetically.
0: That's amazing. No, it was fantastic. This is a hundred percent why we want. I mean, this is such a great perspective to be able to see into.
1: And you know, I, I'm also a martial artist, and like, um, mm. I think uh, my my martial arts practice also inspired. I talked about the fight scene, but also, yeah,
0: like very in, handy in that they of- didn't have to bring in a fight choreographer. For-
1: exactly right. Uh, but in, in capoeira, which is an Afro African Brazilian martial art um, that I also practice, like um, there is like the drum, the rhythm. There's the the the, the folks that play the drum. Um, they actually control the rhythm of of the fights or the game, oh. and so like they can speed it up. They I mean it's it's kind of like a back and forth thing. So like they 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 are totally present and watching the the players the the people fighting or playing as we say in the in the ring they watch them and what they're doing and they kind of kind of feed off the drum can feed off of that but also in many ways they are leading they are you know leading mm-hmm. um the rhythm of the game and so like my purpose in, in 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 the production was also that to kind of like be present and to be able to like guide the the rhythm of the show in a in a very live direct immediate way um but also like this the color white so in our production uh the one kind of like parameter that i knew that i i, I wanted with the production as far as costuming was that i wanted everyone to wear all white because in certain african uh traditions white has a particular meaning. white can be associated with storytellers Um, It can be associated with, you know, uh, truth, many many kinds of things. So Mm -hmm. um, that was the one thing, you know, whatever silhouettes, you know, they wanted to come up with. But I knew that white wanted to be uh, the the costuming wanted to be white symbolically for for various reasons. Uh, It's also Mm -hmm. very meaningful in the Yoruba um, Yoruba culture um, as well. So. Yeah.
0: I. I was noticing, actually, when I was working on the text, how it was laid out like poetry. Even the conversations that were just supposed to be, there's certainly parts of the text that read very much or would have been performed like spoken word poetry or, you know, Robbie is rapping along to the beat at some point. Like there are heightened language moments, but even the stuff that was just conversation it's laid out in this way that makes it so clear where the break in thought is, where the pause is, where the emphasis goes. Um, it's almost like a musical score,
3: mm-hmm.
0: even though it, it is, it's just conversation. But there's so many clues from the playwright in the way the words are laid down on the page. Community Voices is the part of the podcast where we get to showcase your thoughts and insights. This can be reactions audience members have had to the conversations we're having on the podcast, themes you see in the text, ideas you have about production, or elements you feel we overlooked.
2: This week, we're sharing a Community Voices message sent in from Frances Beckett, who is a theater artist and graduate of the National Conservatory of Dramatic Arts. She's sent in a message talking about the play *Coax* or I Really, Really Like You by Neil LaPute.
1: Hello, please leave a message after
2: the tone.
3: I'd love to talk to you about Cokes or I Really, Really Like You by Neil Labut. This is a one-act play about a man in his 20s meeting a woman he's been chatting with online for a dinner date. The performance opens with the audience watching the man waiting for his date. He breaks the fourth wall to talk about how nervous and excited he is for her to arrive, but as he is speaking, we begin to realize his plans for the evening may not be as wholesome as the audience is led to believe, perhaps even sinister. Throughout the remainder of the act, The audience is left guessing about whether the actor is just an actor playing a role or should they expect to see missing persons posters with his date's face the next day. They're challenged on if they should suspend their belief and trust this is in fact the show they paid to see or if they should step in and save the woman in question. I believe this is a play that is worth reading because the twists and turns the audience experiences on what can be deemed a reluctant journey for them. Given it is a one act play, this would be a relatively low budget venture for anyone wanting to perform this show. One could easily bring this script into the current age, tweaking it to incorporate dating apps and the accessibility of potential romantic partners. I would love to have a hand in bringing this story to the stage with some additional modifications like reversing the roles of the two main characters in my initial introduction to this show i was in a workshop where i was asked to perform the opening monologue from the perspective of an older female divorcee going on a first date with a man this is why i think you should read cokes by neil laboot
0: That's a really interesting idea. I have kind of a visceral, visceral reaction to Neil Abute, the Andrew Tate of the theater world, (laughs) but but to flip it, like I I I kind of even want to give myself that challenge and go back and flip some of the genders of characters Hmm. and see what the play. I mean, it would still be ugly. Uh, right, right but but it wouldn't be so blatantly misogynist. Um, I do think that's a really interesting exercise, an interesting thought experiment.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, thank you so much, Francis, for sending in your voicemail. We really appreciate your thoughts on the play.
0: Yeah, now, if we ever get uh, Neil the Butte in in one of the uh, raping plays, now I know how to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> if you have thoughts or reactions you'd like to share, we would love to hear them. You can either send us an email at readmoreplayspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com, post your ideas on our Read More Plays social media pages, or you can send us a voice message. Instructions are on our website, readmoreplays.com.
2: And finally, to wrap up, we want to talk about what this play is about. The goal with all deep looks into a play is for the artist or theater goer to be able to answer for themselves the question of what they think a play is about. It's where ideas for productions come from, and it's how a play lives on in our hearts and minds after the lights go down at the end of the show. And most importantly, it is where we get our own sense of knowledge about a play rather than taking the thoughts of someone else's because we all get to decide what a work of art means to us. So, Jennifer, what does Dontrell Who Kissed the Sea mean to you? What is it about?
0: As I was reading through this beautiful play, I kept thinking that this is a story about untangling and healing generational trauma. Um, It's about freeing the ghosts in our past. And I kept thinking that this was kind of a stretch project for Dontrell. (laughs) In the corporate world, they talk about stretch projects or stretch assignments. This is something that uh, a supervisor would give to uh, one of their direct reports that are beyond their current skill levels and knowledge, but they're supposed to serve to stretch you by placing you in a in challenging positions so that you can develop and learn and grow and i I think that dontrell hears his ancestors just like his grandfather did and uh, you know skipping a generation back and back and back that all of his antecedents did, and he gives himself this stretch assignment. He ignores what everyone's telling him he's supposed to do, go to Johns Hopkins, one of the most prestigious schools in the country, be commercial, commercially successful, be a dutiful son, don't make waves. He ignores everything, and he gives himself this incredibly difficult assignment that stretches and challenges him, and he grows, and he meets his soulmates, and he meets his ancestor, and he does it. So the story is about listening to your instincts so that you can heal yourself and everyone around you. It's about resilience and determination. Dantel tells this future that he's talking to that there's there's many things I don't know yet, but what I can tell you certainly is this. I'll leave no deed undone to save you from the haunts of history. My liberty is bondage if you if I don't. And it's about family. Dontrell tells the little fish in the aquarium that looks like Nemo from Finding Nemo that his dad is coming for him, even though it seems impossible, because that's what family does for family. It is at the core of his values, not just to have a good life for himself, but to free and heal all the people in his community as well. Liberating your family and ancestors as well, so that the ghost can be at peaceful rest, the living can thrive and the future generations will be free from this trauma entirely that's what i think and you sir
2: final answer no um that's that's awesome that's fantastic i'm um i'm here for it uh i think to me the play yeah the play is about so much it's about all of that it's about reaching forward and reaching back and 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 but leaving something for uh for our own des- descendants um it's about and and it's kind of hard for me not to like you know use quotes from the play to sort of describe
0: well, I used quotes I, from the play. Yeah, Go for it. Yeah, yeah.
2: So I mean this play is about being all the James Bonds put together and throwing in a Gandalf. Um it's about it's about a D'ontrell who kissed the sea. So another Dontrell doesn't have to, because mm. that Dontrell carries that with him. Um, That magic within him of all the ancestors, um, even after everything is stripped away, everything being his own recorder, his cassette, his very old shoes, his cup of water, his piece of cake, his mother's gesture of love. Um, And it's about starting from where you are and looking at where you are and looking at where you're at and being amazed by what's already around you and loving what's already around you and who's already around you and appreciating the warrior women who are around you and protecting you and appreciating the dreamers in your life and all the men who've already kissed the sea so you don't have to. It's about all those things. Um, Yeah, and it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I
1: I completely uh, agree with all of that and, and endorse and second and third, all of that um the play is also you know uh it's about legacy it's about um you know as ricardo you were just saying leaving a record right um but it's about duty duty to that legacy as well duty to self um duty to the ancestors to family um and sacrifice you know right right? john trell is willing to um his 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 own personal needs you know he's his heading off to college his scholarship and all that you know his his personal safety health all of that none of all of that is is his mother's wishes all of that takes a backseat to um this uh this duty that he he feels he has to his his ancestors um uh and 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 so all of that so um yeah, and, and again, he sacrifices him, his, himself, um, ultimately, for that. Um, the play, finally, for me, is also just, it's about, um, literally, it's a ritual. It's, um, mm. you know, this, this final moment, and this was exciting about working on the play as well, you know, this moment where uh, the ancestors come back, and there's this kind of dance of Yemaya. Um, Who is the 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 goddess of the ocean of the of this of the sea, the mother goddess, as well, Um, and uh, you know, at the end of this like linear journey that we go on, this kind of epic theatrical journey uh, and personal and and in many ways collective journey that Dontrelle goes on at the very end after he sacrifices his body to the ocean to this quest to this purpose um we have this moment where the ancestors arise and this dance plays out and this dance is a ritual it's a ritual um and it uh and if we think about kind of what ritual means or what the actually ultimate goal of ritual is um it's what jennifer was talking about um with regards to healing it ritual is ultimately about a community it's about healing and um that's what don trell um gets at the end in in many ways he gets a kind of a healing um uh by communing with the ancestors uh and the audience is also in many ways left with uh Th- th- they're in many ways asked to join in in that healing um, mm. by by partic- by being a part of that that ritual. Um, so maybe they are also healed in some sort of way, or walk out with some part of them um, ha- having been healed as well. So for me, that's what the play um, is is about. That's what it's aiming to do. Um,
0: it's making the world a better place.
1: Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I love it. Okay me too mark thank you so much for joining us this episode it has been fantastic to have you here lots of lots of fun
1: getting time to to, to chat with you all about uh, about theater and about a play that is really very important to to, to me um, and to to my uh, to my life to my career um, and, and and everything like that so I'm I'm really glad to be able to have this time to revisit it after all these years. And, 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 uh, yeah, right on well, well, don't we definitely feel... yet, before
2: we go, sorry.
0: I was just gonna say, we definitely feel so lucky to have your perspective. Thank you.
2: <clears throat> absolutely. Um, and, but before we go, we just have two questions for you. One, where should people go if they want to learn more about your work? And two, what plays do you think people absolutely should be reading? <laughs> uh yeah so if you want
1: to uh to follow me or see more of my work um you can find me on instagram of course uh at theneogrio.com. um t-h-e-n-e-o-g-r-i-o-t uh sorry that's Oh, well, yeah. TheNeoGrio.com is my website, so you can find me there. Um, and you can also see samples of my work, uh, my portfolio, etc. A bit about kind of my, you know, see my artist statement, get to know about me. Um, and then on Instagram, you can do uh, find me at The NeoGrio. Um, you can you know, follow me there as well. So those are the best places. And uh, what plays should people... Uh, should people read what three plays is that the question sure <laughs> what was the actual question
2: <laughs> that is the question
3: there's just I mean, not a specific was, what, what number it, it could be one
0: it could be, three,
1: be four. But... Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, like, okay. Yeah, if you have the top three that's great <laughs> oh yeah okay well uh let's see off to off the top of my head um i think a play that uh everyone should read is, is the escape or a leap for freedom um, this is a play by that uh, I've also directed, um, but that's, that's very important uh, to me. And I think to, uh, uh to this country, um, was written by William Wells Brown, it's the, f- uh, first play written by an African-American ever to be published in 1858. And, uh, it really is for me, it kind of is like, um it's just a key a kind of a a key piece of the foundations of american theater and african american theater tradition so uh and it's super funny and just like super innovative especially for its time i think it's amazing so uh and it should be it should be much more studied and well known so the escape or leap for freedom uh there's a play called um Divine Comedy by Owen Dodson uh which is uh who is a uh, kind of the generation right after the Harlem Renaissance artists he's kind of that first generation after um and uh Divine Comedy is a play written uh half in prose half in verse and uh it, it um it's kind of inspired by um, by father divine who was like a cult leader in harlem a kind of false prophet um and it takes place it's set like at the end of the depression and it it kind of critiques a lot of these kind of false prophets that were springing up um but i think it has a lot of relevance in our own time and thinking about false prophets and and who the people that we kind of get wrapped up in following and and uh who speak a, a really pretty game and and all of that but who are really uh snake oil uh, salesman. Um, and then uh, a uh, last one, I think, is uh, Passing Strange, um, which is a musical. And it, this is one of those where I'm like, you can either watch the, you know, watch the the the, the filming of the final Broadway performance of it. Um, I think it's very valuable. Uh, Spike Lee directed it, um, and it's amazing to see the original production because I think there's, it's so personal to that that cast into that to stew the in the heidi the the creators that it feels like you need to in some way see that but also reading it on the page just like the words are so beautiful the story's so beautiful it's so meaningful um i just think there's a lot it's a you know there's a lot that anybody can get out of uh, out of this particular story uh and it's another kind of journey coming of age in many ways, stories similar to Dontrell. Uh, so those are three plays that I think are are, are very necessary that I, I feel can can um can be revisited many, many different times um over your life and then new things be found or new kind of revelations or meanings take place. Um, and that are uh, pretty I think fairly obscure um uh that are like hidden gems. So those are my like hidden gems.
2: You've been listening to Read More Plays. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to see all our posts related to this and other episodes, as well as post your own comments about Dontrell who kissed the sea.
0: If you liked this episode, we would be so grateful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way for us to reach new listeners, which we really want to do. You could also tell a few friends about us so our theater community can grow.
2: Come and join the community of incredible people who are supporting us on Patreon. It's where we post bonus content like video clips of extended conversations we had while recording each episode, what our analysis and research for the show looks like, bloopers from our recording sessions, and more.
0: This episode of Read More Plays was produced by me, Jennifer Sassaman, Ricardo Frederick Evans, and Samuel Fitzwater-Butchart. Our theme music is by the incredible Caitlin Harewood, with additional music by Bob Sassaman. That's your dad. Special shout-out to Mark H. for joining us, and to Frances Baguette for her interesting and innovative community voices message, as well as a big thanks to all the amazing people who are supporting us on Patreon. We're infinitely grateful for your support, and we wish you a very Merry Christmas.
2: Our next episode will air in two weeks when we will be discussing Hamlet by William Shakespeare. No pressure. And we hope that everyone has a great rest of 2023.
0: Merry Christmas! Happy Happy, Holidays! happy Happy New Year!
2: Until our next episode, I'm Ricardo.
0: I'm a mermaid.
2: <laughs> and I'm Mark H. Reminding you to Read, read more, more plays. plays. One, two, three.
0: Remind-
2: read more plays.
0: six voices saying <laughs> it. <laughs> the awesome. And that's of our ancestors. And that's a wrap.
2: <laughs> Read more plays.
0: Make good choices. See you on the flip.